hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows behind the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun is set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. It's Tuesday, April 4th. This is episode six, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing well, Brennan. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, thank you. I'm, uh, I got nothing really. <laughs> I've had a really, really boring week. I had, I had some family in town last weekend, and right. and that kind of sucked up all the free time. And Discovered you'd never want to be a parent? Oh, I, I knew that for sure. Okay. But good. this, if, if anything else, it, it drove it home. <laughs> My niece is lovely, but I, I meant to be many things in this life, and a father is not one of them. They are a lot of work. You checked out roller derby. Yes. In, um, your, in your exploration of the alternative parts of the world. In, <laughs> I heard people talking about it, and we're like, you know what? Let's just go. And uh, I even had to give myself a little pep talk that... You know, I was scared or I didn't like it. I could leave and I wasn't about what, to be there. What did you expect to happen there? That's that's what I want to know. That's the problem I didn't know. I kind of, I'm trying to imagine this from your point of view. Like what you, is this like some kind of Mad Max-esque <laughs> guar video, <laughs> you know, like a bunch of really angry women with strap-ons <laughs> hitting you over the head with sticks? I mean, what? No, that was not what I was expecting at all. Well, I'm just saying, this seems like, I don't know. I mean, roller derby, I said alternative. I mean, roller derby's pretty straightforward. I mean, Revelstoke has a roller derby team. Well, I didn't know any of the rules, so that oh, I don't know any of the, I don't. I watch football, I don't know any of the rules. I don't think anyone's going to attack me from the back, if you know what I mean. No, I, didn't, I wasn't expecting to be attacked. I just didn't know. I didn't know anything about it. And, I mean, I still don't know. Are they games? Are they sets? Are they matches? I don't know. Are they roll-offs? I don't know. We got to halftime, and I'm like, well, there's the halftime of the, the thing. You just don't know. Thankfully, thankfully, we had a guy sitting in front of us who appeared to be quite on the inside, and the league is the eaves of destruction, by the way. He knew tons of rules. Like, if you get knocked out by someone and you get knocked out of bounds, you can't come back onto the the ring in front of them. So what these people do is they'll knock someone out of bounds, and then the girls will immediately start skating backwards. And that's designed to keep the people from getting back on easier. That was interesting. Fair, fair enough. I, I still have no idea how the game is played or what the rules are. I, I don't really either. I, I mean, I, I've seen pictures and none of them are, you know, quite what I'd hope. So <laughs> I never really exported any further. But uh, Well, it was fun. We enjoyed it. I think we're going to go back. Fair enough. I, I enjoyed the snacks a great deal and the booze was cheap. Well, see, now that appeals to me. There you go. I remember years ago, my cousin and I went to go to the Blues Festival in Revelstoke. Right. And so we walk into the grounds and immediately this hippie with dreadlocks and you know he's wearing a hacky sack <laughs> he patchouli smelling yeah yeah yeah, yeah. every <laughs> every cliche you can possibly imagine this guy was so this guy walks up to us and he says hey man back off we just want to have fun and i thought what i'm here because the beer is 450 <laughs> what do i look like to you do I, I i said to my cousin i said apparently we look like twin engines of destruction here to destroy the fun for everyone involved. To, what, if it, what was the event again? It was uh, the Revelstoke Roots and Blues Festival. Oh, and, maybe I mean, you this, don't fit that maybe. People who listen to music, I have years for Christ's sake. So I, I mean, know, what, but 
maybe you fit more into that that concert you were at a couple weeks ago. Maybe that's more your people. <laughs> they were definitely not my people. <laughs> Bunch of angry virgins with spikes on their jackets. <laughs> I don't have spikes on my jacket. No, you don't. All right. So this week we're going to be talking about It. We are. Stephen King's It. Because <laughs> the trailer for the new film came out last week. Mm-hmm. And we discovered early on in our friendship that uh, – we both really like the book. Yeah. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book. Yeah. We're going to talk about the book, about the first movie, the the god-awful well, TV movie. The TV movie. Let's not call it a movie. <laughs> and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, our thoughts on the new trailer. Sounds good. Now, of course, I mean, for, for those of you who don't know, it is a story of seven kids who fight a multidimensional evil entity they refer to as it, who sometimes masquerades as Pennywise the Clown. Yes. And clowns are not cool. And I I have had a problem with clowns for a long time. And I saw the best uh, cartoon about that. It was one of those Bizarro cartoons. And it said, uh, over top, it said, the truth about clowns appears in a vision. And it's this angel standing over this clown at a makeup mirror. And she says, most children are scared of you and adults just feel sorry for you. And I was like, yes. And <laughs> But even as a kid, and I think for me, I read people very quickly. I, I, I need to do that. And so for me, when you see a clown, what can you not see? Their real face. And right. so they're very hard to figure out what's going on and they're unpredictable. And maybe that's why I don't like them. Well, I mean, that, that makes sense. And actually, funny enough, when I looked up, it's called colrophobia, which is the actual fear of clowns. Wow. That was one of the... Uh, one of the possible reasons was that you you don't know who's behind the mask or the makeup. Exactly. But the problem I have with that is, I mean, that, that would then affl- apply to every mask. Is, is these people would be shitting themselves every time Halloween rolls around. Well, <laughs> oh, I, I don't like mascots. You know, the big fluffy things are at the. No one likes things. mascots. Well, I know, but I'm just saying it's the same reason. You don't know who or what is really oh, inside there. I, again, I, I, no, no, that's that's nonsense. Because like I said, it... it <laughs> that's not even my legitimate feeling. You can't call that nonsense. I absolutely can. <laughs> we are in the era of alternative facts. I think that uh, hippie at the Blues Festival was right about you, just for the And record. now I'm going to curb stomp you. <laughs> but as I said, I looked up Corophobia, the clown thing, and they said that this is the reason why people do it. And again, I'm, I'm not totally sold, because I think if that was the case, he would have an issue with... With all masks, right? Not just clowns, right? I, there, I think there's something unique about clowns. I agree. I would agree. I don't know. Yeah, if it's a grease paint or the weird kind of quasi quasi childish thing going on. Well, not only that, but think about it. When any clowns I know, they don't use their real name. They have a clown name and they have a clown persona. Well, yeah, because they have all Gerald the clown on. isn't exactly. <laughs> hey, kids, it's me, John Wayne Casey. Oh no, wait, that was <laughs> that was different. That's when when clowning goes bad. <laughs> but but no, for real, they have these this clown persona, and uh, yeah, it's it's weird. It's yeah, it freaks me out. Did you know when you become a clown, you actually have to register your face? Oh, good lord! With the I like the clown union or whatever. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they're you, like the Teamsters, but a lot more fun. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. No, I, a lot more murdery. Imagine I, those guys turning up with a bunch of lead pipes trying to break a strike. <laughs> the pink they had it all wrong with the Pinkertons. They did. Just send a bunch of <laughs> clowns. I'm yep, out, yeah. Done. This job is not worth it. <laughs> I'm not a fan of clowns myself. I, I think they're creepy as yeah. hell. But I don't have the the mortal fear of them. I just don't like them. No, no, no. I remember I was I was in the car with a friend of mine. This is about uh, about eleven years ago now. Mm-hmm. I don't make it longer than that. 
you know, 14 years ago. Yeah, you're Done. pretty old. I know. It feels like it some days. So we're in the car. We're in Kelowna. And I'd stayed over at her place the night before. Not like that. <laughs> we were, I think she was driving me somewhere to meet up with some other people. Mm-hmm. And she is a very, very afraid of clowns. So we're in the Kelowna rush hour traffic at about 830 in the morning. Well, who pulls up next to us at the stoplight? But a clown. No way. I said, uh, don't look out the right window. Why? Yeah. Immediately and does. yeah, yeah. And terror ensues. Oh, I'm sure geez. that moment is forever imprinted on her brain. Lon Chaney, the actor and mm-hmm. man of many mm-hmm. phases. Yeah. He once put it really, really well. He said, a clown is funny in the circus ring, but what would be the reaction opening a door at midnight and finding the same clown standing there? And did we not just go through that this last Halloween with all those weird clown sightings? All the clowns? Of course. Yeah. That was weird. Are you serious? <laughs> it's a clown car it's a sign they're coming for us oh god well and you said saving these extra bullets was stupid <laughs> but we've got two left for ourselves it's true actually i'm just gonna shoot you twice <laughs> <laughs> thank you oh boy <laughs> all right we're gonna take a quick break after that we're gonna talk a little bit more about it the book uh the book it the it book me and it are gonna do it <laughs> do it do it we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. Just for the record, we recorded that about 87 times. <laughs> it was so smooth. We'll be right back. As we said before the break, today we're going to be talking about the, well, about Stephen King's It. And now we're going to talk about the book, which I read when I was 13. And Ian just told me off air, he read it when he was 15. Mm -hmm. It really made an impression on me. Yeah. You got a book about, as I said, about seven kids facing off against a murderous clown. And and it it, it stuck with me. And, and, you know, I feel like the thing that really stuck with me, the thing that really resonated with me is the way King wrote kids. Yeah. He made them real. They weren't characters. They were people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. it. I really, and I really feel like, like he nailed the, the sort of hermetically sealed world that you live in when you're a kid running around. It's got its own rules, its own setup. Old hierarchy. Yep. Care, people who are, you interact with everything. Yeah. I, I remember being a kid and uh, I was young, young, young. And I saw these teenagers walking around and I, I don't know why I, I yelled something foul at him. Because <laughs> you're an idiot. I, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> And I, I don't remember what it was. I just remember I said this and they looked at me and I ran and they <laughs> ran. And I think I hid in the laundromat. Oh, so brave. Yeah. Well, no, that's <laughs> discretion is the better part of valor. Self-preservation. That's it. So, yeah, again, in the book, it you've got kids who are in separate ways drawn together in what they call the losers club because all these kids are not particularly popular. Right. And they come to realize that in, in their small town of Derry, Maine, it's set in 1958, that something is is very wrong. Kids are going missing, mm-hmm. found dead, and they slowly come to realize that it is the work of a multidimensional creature they refer to as it. Mm-hmm. And the creature can appear as your worst nightmare, but typically appears as a clown that calls Pennywise. Right. Unless it's one-on-one with them. And then it would it would definitely appear um, as the mummy, as the wolfman, as one of the characters' younger brother who died it would kind of hit you up individually, but if it was appearing kind of almost a broad attack on these kids, 
Yeah, it was the clown. Always the clown. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So I guess it's more like it chooses something that is a, a general fear. Right. Oh, you know, I had never noticed that. Well, I'm pretty smart. It would customize its fearful thing to whoever it was dealing with. I, I mean, that's what I got from it. But yeah, the clown thing, that's where it all starts, right? Right. And of course, in the book, the kids defeat the, the beast once. Yeah. And then 28 years later, they find themselves called back to, to Derry because it's not dead. Right. And if you read, there's some very interesting sort of back history in the book of the town. And it talks about multiple times there being uh, mass murders or multiple murders, multiple disappearances. And they have to, it gets defeated or it gets sated right? Its appetite is is satisfied. And then it kind of goes underground for a while. So this was different because this is the first time in 1958 where they hit it and hit it hard and, and kind of drove it back. But as you say, now it's come back and they have to return. Yeah. As I recall, I think it's every 30 years, right? the thing comes back and right. feeds and, right. and then rests again, mm -hmm. which it kind of reminds me a little bit of, you ever see the movie Jeepers Creepers? No. It's a really effective horror movie from, I want to say- I'm around 99, 2000-ish. Okay. About a brother and sister who are traveling through the back roads of somewhere in America where people get murdered and no one notices. <laughs> so America. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Generally. They come upon a a man uh, dropping what looks like dead bodies down a chute. Right. And instead of just going and reporting to the authorities, like anyone with a functioning brain, <laughs> they decide to explore the chute. As and, you do. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. you do. And uh, not ever having seen a horror movie in your life. <laughs> so they go down there and they find this this creature that they eventually call the Creeper. Right. And it's uh, it, it's this man-shaped monster that comes back. I think it's in the film it's every seven years or something. Okay, yeah. Anyways, it, it's, a, it's a really great horror film. Uh, ruined by, not ruined, but the, the sequel's terrible. Okay. But the original is, is fine. It, it's attracted <clears throat> some negative attention because it was discovered the director, Victor Salva, was previously convicted of child molestation. Oh, not good. Yeah, no, not not good. But getting back to it, so yeah, the creature comes back every thirty years, and, and yeah, the kids are the first ones to really hit it, to really to really make it suffer, and they thought right. they had killed it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I mean, it still. I, I just read it when I turned thirty three last year. I read the book again, mm -hmm. and twenty years later, it, I found it was still just as effective as it had been. I think I picked up more on the second reading. I've been reading Stephen King's stuff. Well, since grade five, because apparently my mom was asleep at the switch. I was uh, reading Mickey Spillane in grade six. <laughs> this explains a lot about you, actually. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, the book was amazing. It was so, you felt like you'd gone into another world. It was a scary world. You were worried for these kids. You were worried for them as adults. What I what I liked about it, though, how in the, in the book as children, They've all battled something. Bill with his stutter, Beverly with her abusive father, these sorts of controlling figures in their lives. They eventually defeat. And then when you read the book again as an adult, you realize that as adults coming back to Maine, they all have to defeat something as well as adults to get back to where they need to be. And I, I thought that was um, pretty poignant. It's almost like when they defeat it, it's because they have been able to bring all that kind of power together and do it together where they wouldn't have been able to do it on their own, even though you see individually they are strong people. Right. And of course, when they come back, I guess for anyone who hasn't read the book, I mean, you should. Yeah. Uh, and, and I did notice reading it the second time around, there is a lot of writerly flourishes. Oh, yes, there are. That desperately need editing. But yeah. I guess that's just, you know, yeah. this is, you have to get past it. Yeah, you do. But anyways, I, for anyone who hasn't read it, you should give you a quick rundown of who the characters actually know mm -hmm. we're talking about. There is Bill who has a stutter. He's the leader of the group. Right. Richie, who's the, the motor mouth. Stan, who is 
I think he's basically the Jewish kid. Yeah. Eddie, who is the the, the, the sickly kid. one. Yeah. Yeah, the sickly kid. <laughs> Beverly, who is the uh, the sort of the, the girl, well, the girls group. She's you know got red hair, which oh, she lives in my heart. <laughs> That's something none of the adaptations have got right so far, as far as I'm concerned. Is Beverly? Oh, Her really? hair was not red enough. In the no, in, it was in, like a dark in auburn the TV movie. In the TV movie, and the new one, she looks like Barb from Stranger Things, <laughs> which is fine. Like I, yeah. I got me some love for Barb, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, she wouldn't be alone by that pool right. with me, <laughs> but uh, it's not the way I picture the character. Right, and I'm I'm not one of these guys. You know, I love comic book movies, all yeah. this stuff. Yeah, I'm not going to get hung up on the fact that it's not like the comic. No, but damn it, Beverly's hair isn't red enough. Yes. Anyways, Ben, the fat kid, mm-hmm. who I I mean, obviously, I identified with Ben. Right. Ben was. Yeah, I identified strongly with that character because he, and that's actually something I thought King really nailed too, is the idea of the, the earnestness and just the the single-mindedness of young love, of right. infatuation. Right, yeah, you know, absolutely. Ben is, of course, in love with Beverly, and because he's the fat kid, he figures, well, that's just never going to happen. Right. And, I, you know, I was right there with him. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> but as, uh, Stephen King does that. I mean, in Stand By Me, he had that same kind of group. Right. Um, he had the fat kid and the geeky kid. And oh, okay. I haven't so, read that one. Yeah, no. And he he's definitely toyed around with those those sort of people before, but he really gets it right here. And there's one part in the book I was reading about how there was another kid there one time because they were working on this project together. He says right in there, it was unspoken, but everyone knew that this new kid may come again, may not, but was never going to be part of the group, that they were... The group. So they had this amazing kind of group identification with the seven of them mm-hmm. that allowed other characters to kind of move through and move around and, and, and be part of it without actually being part of the group, which right. was great. And and that's very true, I think, when you... Oh, absolutely. When, when you are a kid, you definitely have sort of a set number of people who you hang out with. Yeah, definitely not something I still do as an adult. Right. No, definitely. <laughs> you move past that. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm a grown-up now. Yes, you are. Cough. <laughs> Uh, the last kid, of course, is Mike, and he's, um, well, he's the black kid. Right. <laughs> he never leaves. We got a Jewish kid. We got a black kid. Uh, we got all the fat kid. Poor Mike. Yeah. And yeah, Mike is one of the kids after they defeat it the first time and everyone moves on into the world to become great successes. Mike is the one who is not really elected. He, I mean, he just ends up being the one who stays behind to keep watch. As a chubby young romantic, you know, who took longer than, than the first transcontinental railway to get laid. <laughs> Ben Ben's whole thing for Beverly really really felt really worked for me because I mean about that age I was totally infatuated with some young girl right who uh, yeah it just didn't happen no what in the book Brandon did you enjoy the most what were your your pivotal moments in the book I think for me the the, the one of the scariest parts of it was or one of the favorite parts of it was when the kids go to the house on Nybold Street yes and they they try to because they they saw it there one of them saw it there on his own yeah so they went back to try and find it as a group right. That scared the hell out of me. Yeah. And both times I read it, it's, it was still effective. Well, it's it's got everything. It's got the abandoned house. It's got the cellar. It's got the traditional monsters. For me, it was when Mike got trapped in the chimney and the bird was coming oh, for him. Right, oh, right, 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 right. I did not care for that. When he talked about backing up and the chimney got smaller and then realizing what if the bird gets stuck. Right. And then they die in there together because they, oh. Oh, oh, oh. He got all the phobias right. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and of course, it is a giant spider towards the end. Yes. Which yes. is goddamn terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I remember as when when they go back to kill it as, as adults, they have to, they discover that it has been laying eggs. Right. And yes. there are probably hundreds of these eggs or a hundred right. of these eggs. Right. And inside each one is a tiny little, like a big spider, like the size of a of your hand or something. Right. And Ben, as an adult, has to 
break each one of these eggs in the half dark and crush the thing before it can get away because not one of these things can escape. <sighs> and just, I remember that they described it as a crunching sound. Yeah. Every time he, he steps on one of these things and they describe him as being half mad with fear. Right. And that would be me. Yeah. Because I do not do spiders. No. <laughs> Something else I appreciated was the way that King suggested at a great, uh, at a greater world around the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, of course, it, they talk about it and it is shape changing, but it is never, it wants the kids to believe that it is infinite right. and indestructible and it came from nowhere and it right. can go nowhere. Right. But they managed to discover and sort of intuit that it is in fact mortal. Like anything else, it can die. It's yes. very old, yes. but it can die. Mm-hmm. And I like that they they hint at the idea of this thing, the turtle. Yeah, that comes up almost in the first couple scenes in the book where one of the first kids who we see get killed by it identifies the turtle. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's this enormous turtle basically yeah. that appears to have some kind of multidimensional power. It is sort of the... The antithesis of the of of it of the spider, yeah, and um, it's it's an interesting thing to have pop up because you think about Discworld, mm-hmm. you know, there's a giant turtle with the world on its back. It's <laughs> such an interesting trope to have yeah. come back the way it does, yeah. But I and that's something I appreciated too about King's work. And I mean, I haven't read a new Stephen King book in a long time, mm. but I appreciated how he drew together the various worlds. Yes. So, for example, it comes back. No, I shouldn't say comes back, but it is referenced in later books he writes. Uh, yes. Particularly in the Dark Tower series. Right. Because he talks about this this thing as one of a number of creatures that kind of travels the, you know, whatever you want to call it, and it ended up there. Ah. And its destruction actually has a ripple effect. And that's something I appreciate about his, I've always appreciated about his work. There's a, a kind of a connecting thread. Always, yeah. Yeah, in all of them. In this book, I mean, he connects it to sort of the old world and all that sort of thing. And I enjoyed that. I also enjoyed a lot of the kind of ahead of little hints one of the scenes where uh ben in particular heads up a group of the guys who are down in a place called the barrens and they're and they're building a dam they're damming up the the little creeks that run through there and are very very good at it very effective at it and and actually um no one really knows how ben does it including ben and then you know the authority figure literally the police officer comes down and says what are you doing and they tell him what they're doing and he's like you have no idea what you've done because this isn't just a little creek this is the runoff from further up in town and the fact that you've dammed this off means that cellars are flooding and and the toilets are backing up and and all these other major things are happening because they made one small change in their environment and i i like that because not only is it them working together it also shows how much power they actually have. I just thought that was brilliant. I, and I loved it because I can remember doing stuff like that in the back alley, you know, where I lived. We would, you know, kind of dam up the, the little stream and see what happens. And I thought that was great. It, it really captured a piece of childhood there. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I, and I think, I mean, the, the idea of this this thing being underneath the town, it being kind of part of the town itself, mm-hmm. part of the history, I honestly think that's what put the hook in me to learn about Local history, which ultimately led me to write Strange Little Place. Right, yeah. You know, just because I, I was reading, when I was reading, rereading the book, it occurred to me, yeah, you know, all this, the character of Mike who does all the digging back into the town's history yeah. to see how far back it has been there. Right. And of course, in a vision, they eventually see that it has been there since time immemorial. Yeah. Like it's, it's uh, you know, since the time of the dinosaurs. Right. This this thing has been there. Right. And, and I realized, no, I think that's, was a huge influence on me mm-hmm. in trying, in, in learning like municipal history and, and sort yeah. of the feeling a place that's strange and, and yeah. trying to 
learn more about your hometown. And now one thing I was thinking of, the thread that runs through this book is missing children uh, Mm -hmm. and some missing adults, but mostly children. Yep. And you've been reading some books about that. What missing 411? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been reading David Pallady's missing 411 series and that's uh Pilates is an ex-police detective who has spent minimum six years putting together this list of, it started out as people missing in national parks. Right. Uh, younger, older, there was no, I mean, I, I should say it tended to be younger children and older people. Right. Uh, who, the ones who came back who were found, they often could not account for their time. Kids, uh, you know, they would either have no memory of the time or they would just, they, they would say things that didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, uh, a bear took me away and took care of me. And then let me go. Yeah, that's not typical bear behavior. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm no bearologist, but this does not seem normal. Or they would say, you know, we f- I found a house in the woods and the people in there took me in and fed me. And then they sent me on my way. There were, there's, of course, no house there. Right. And yeah, the elderly people, oftentimes it'd be the same thing. You know, they'd either have dementia, so they couldn't comment on it. They couldn't say where they'd been. Or uh, it would be people who were disabled. Most people have written, or I shouldn't say most people, some people write these disappearances off as people getting lost in the woods. Yeah. You know, because it, it happens, right? I mean, mm, woods all are- All the time. That's it, yeah. And I think in some cases that is what's happening. But there are some of these cases that really, really get to me. And and, and now I, I say that not that it's because it's, you know, scary ostensibly. Because, I mean, some of them are creepy, but it's some of them, something connects with me on a deeper level. Right. And really unnerves me. One reason why is there's something that happened to me in the forest uh, nine years ago. Okay. Now, and I, I've told you this story and yeah. I, I don't think I've told it on air. What happened was my friend and I were driving down through the through the redwoods in California on Highway 101. We pulled over because we wanted to take pictures of the trees. Never seen anything like it. My friend had just had surgery right. on his intestines, so he, he was not supposed to do anything strenuous. Yeah. We separated, just went up and down the highway taking these pictures. The forest floor was down an embankment on the side of the road. Maybe 10 feet, 10, 15 feet down. Okay. Yep. It wasn't steep. But, but it, it was down it, there. It wasn't an easy climb either. No. After about, I don't know, however long it was, I realized I'd lost track of my friend. Mm-hmm. And so I started calling out his name. Couldn't find him. And I was getting worried. And I thought, where the hell did he go? Mm-hmm. And then finally, I'm yelling, I'm yelling his name out and I hear, I'm down here from the trees. And I said, well, what the hell are you doing down there? get your ass back up here. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be climbing shit mm-hmm. with, with your stomach the way it is. So, he, and he was, like, he was away in the trees. So he came back up and I said, why the hell did you go down there? And he said, well, I heard you, I heard you calling me. Whoa. We, at the time we thought, ah, well, you know, this is just a function of the, the acoustics. Yeah. But I realized when I started reading these missing 411 books, and I'm not saying it's connected because no, no, no. who knows, Yeah. but it occurred to me, I, I didn't start calling his name until after he went missing. Mm. Till after he had heard me calling him. Right. So what the hell did he hear? I, I'm not saying it's one thing or another thing, nope. but I'm saying it's a good question. But some of the details are really creepy too. Like you were just telling me about the one where they found the guy and he'd been completely drained. Oh, exsanguinated. Yeah, that was, I can't remember where that was. That was somewhere in the U.S. But yeah, this guy was found in a, in a river, completely drained of blood and vitriol fluid. Dude. The medical examiners could not find any mark on him that would explain where the blood or vitriol fluid had gone. That's crazy. It was just gone. I mean, apparently this is something that, uh, what do you call them? Like funeral directors do. Yeah, that's it's, right. Yeah, they take yeah. things and shit like this, but there are marks. You know, this is not a, it's not a delicate procedure. No, no, no. It goes in your, in your carotid artery. Yeah. Oh, the, and, oh, out, and out the other side. So there you go. But yeah, so the, there, there was no indication of why this is, why this is happening. Wow. And I mean, that's scary. Yeah. You know, that's just straight up scary. Yeah. And also 
there was another, there are cases where people are found with their clothes missing. Right. Now, of course, with hypothermia, there's this thing they call paradoxical yeah. undressing. Yeah. But there are cases where of this paradoxical undressing in warm places too. And there was one case where uh, a guy called his wife. He was out fishing. It was May. Called his wife. On the phone with her, he said he was afraid because he felt like he was being followed. And for no reason at all, it seems, he said, I'm going to be taking my clothes off. And then he hung up. So the moral of the story is don't go anywhere alone. Well, yeah, that seems reasonable. <laughs> I, I honestly, I mean, I've never been a big fan of the trees. No. I mean, you know, we, we were joking earlier about how I don't go camping. Right. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that's, that's more just because I got out of the habit after leaving Revelstoke. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But no, I, I'm not a big fan of the trees. I don't like going into the woods, uh, especially by myself. Oh, no, I wouldn't probably go by myself. I know the woods around uh, Royal Roads out here. There's something very odd about those woods. There is a power in those woods that I... I have no idea what it is, but every time, especially when you go down past the castle and you just go in the first, uh, off to the right-hand side, I guess, and then down towards the ocean, that section of the woods, far more weird and, and wonderful than the rest. Well, a friend of mine used to jog around there and I remember her saying she would always get disoriented. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She couldn't figure it out because yep. she, she jogs it all the time, but there's, yep. she would always find herself disoriented when she went around Royal Roads. Yeah. I could see that. And I think was it was you I took up to that gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that Belmont neighborhood, which borders the railroad's grounds. Right. And there's that stone old stone gate there that just got a real vibe at nighttime. Right. And, I mean, and it's, it's very much tied to that. There's something going on or something that's there. I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, Missing 411 does in some ways remind me of, bring to mind, yeah, it. You know, the yeah. idea of kids going missing and people yeah. going missing. I mean, Polites has never ever come out and said what he thinks it is, which I think right. is wise because yeah, if even 10% of the, the cases he brings up are not accidents right. or not standard experiences, that's a lot of cases. That is a lot of cases. I think in the most recent book, he, he says he's up to something like 1,200 of these cases, which wow. fit this very specific, very narrow classification. Wow. So if even 5%, that's 60, that's an enormous number of question marks. Yeah. So he's never come out and, and said what he, th- what he thinks it is, but I, I, I sure hope it's not murdering clowns. <laughs> Me too. All right, so we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back. We're going to talk about the atrocious TV movie that was it (laughs) and our hopes for the upcoming movie. In the break, we're just saying things that we are dearly glad we're not committed to uh, to recording. Yes, we are. So we're just going to move right into talking about the telemovie of It <laughs> from 1990, because that's much less likely to get us sued. And, and on this topic of poor Stephen King and his movies, they don't really seem to work out so hot, uh, with the exception of The Shining, which is, I believe, a classic. Oh, it, The Shining is great, but he hates it. And Carrie... Well, Carrie's fine. But the rest of them? The Dead Zone's pretty good. 
See, I haven't seen that one. No, it's it's solid. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's actually early Cronenberg, if I remember correctly. Really? Yeah, yeah. Before he got all body horror and weird. Oh, okay. But a lot of his movies end up a on TV oh. and b terrible. Terrible is generous. And King, yeah, I, I, I part of this blame I put on King. I think he has zero taste <laughs> because. He he hated Kubrick's version of The Shining. Right. And instead he liked the tele, the television version put out in, I don't know, 1990-something, done by Mick Garris. Garris has directed a, a ton of King adaptations. Really? And every one of them is hot garbage. But King must like them. He must he must be saying, yes, let's, let's reassemble the same crew because that was a beautiful project. I seem to recall hearing he has a thing where he will sell the rights to any of his books for a dollar. Really? Yeah, he he's he wants he just he'll give everyone pretty much anyone who asks the rights, and then you can you can do make, what you will with do it. Do what you will, and they have, and they have. Well, it seems like his what is it? What is going on outside? I don't know. Whatever we try to record, it's like a street carnival. <laughs> Actually, that would make great background noise. I think that's a jet taking off. <laughs> I think the the most successful Stephen King properties on film have been his non horror properties. I mean, Shawshank Redemption is really good. Yeah. Stand By Me, which the was The Green Mile. The Green Mile's great. Brilliant. Stand By Me was based on the body. Yeah. I, Hearts in Atlantis never fails to make me cry. I have not seen that. Brilliant movie. Really? Have you read the book? I don't think I have. So the book is a series of short stories. He d- he doesn't adapt all of them in the film, but it's, it's a brilliant movie. And it's not horror. No, it's not horror. There is a supernatural element to it. In the book, the characters are tied into the Dark Tower. Okay. But the film, they abandoned that just for sort of a less yeah. defined government agent type thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really effective. It's got that same wistful memory thing yeah. that some of his better stuff has. So there's that. Like I said, the dead zone is okay. Yeah. And I think that's it. I think everything else is, is shit. I think. <laughs> In our humble but entirely yeah, accurate yeah, yeah. opinions. <laughs> well, there's Pet Cemetery, which is, a, I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but I recall it being pretty bad. I read that book, like I mentioned when I was in grade five, that, which was a horrible, horrible thing to put in a child's brain. <laughs> yep. But I remember watching the movie and being quite disappointed because it was nothing like I, the horror that I had conjured up in my head. Right. It was a pretty mild thing. And maybe that's the problem. The Stephen King stuff is because it is sort of interwoven with our deepest fears and phobias. Right. But when we see it on film, eh, it's, you know, it comes off more cheesy then it does scary. I, I mean, I know with The Exorcist, one of the things they did to heighten the horror level was they ran the sound of snarling dogs and an angry swarm of wasps through all the language of when the demon speaks. Oh, okay. So that people would respond instinctively to that right. rather than what was actually happening. But I think, I mean, I, th- I think that's down to I mean, The Exorcist was made by artists. True. I mean, the Exorcist was made by William Friedkin, really at the height of his powers. Because right. he made that, he made a French Connection was in 75. Right. Sorcerer, which is really an underrated classic, was kind of around then. That was a remake of the film Wages of Fear about uh, truckers taking truckloads of, I believe it was TNT through the jungle. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Very, very intense, effective yeah, film. Yeah. So that was really a, a, an artist at the height of his powers. Whereas, as I said, a lot of the Stephen King stuff is directed by idiots just trying to basically make a buck off the name. Right. And a lot of them end up on television, I think because they're so uh, sprawling. Yeah. And, and which in a lot of cases is not a good thing because he needs a editor. <laughs> well, and I read The Stand, which is my, per- I would say it. 
and The Stand are my favorite Stephen King books. Right. And they came out with an like unedited version of The Stand. Oh, I know. They sold that one by the pound, uh, I think. Yeah, you could you could kill a small dog with that thing. And <laughs> I loved it. I could not get enough because it had all the characters that I really enjoyed right. in the actual commercial release, and it just expanded on it. But I have to say, reading it, you kind of go, Okay, Stephen, we get the point. Like, yeah, I mean, you can cut some of this out now. In, and- in terms of content, I like what's in there, but I just feel some of the writing is, some of the metaphors are yes. so ham-fisted writing yeah. class. Yeah, you know, I, I've got a friend who's a writer, and and every now and again, I'll I'll, I'll get a few friends who are writers, obviously. <laughs> but uh, it happens. Yeah, oh god. <clears throat> but every now and again, I'll read something and I'll think, Jesus. You kind of patted yourself on the back after you wrote that, didn't you? Right. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So King stuff tends to be long, and, and I mean, I think now is the gr- the perfect time to have it on television because we're in this age of peak TV, right? Where we've got series that are, you know, you, you have adult level miniseries, yeah, absolutely. that are ten or thirteen or episodes or, or whatever you have. Yeah. I mean, the new Twin Peaks, I think, is eighteen. So you know, this would be a perfect time, but we still keep getting these really terrible adaptations, mm-hmm. like um, Bag of Bones, right? Which yeah. is. Bag of Bones has a real problem, and that is, I think Bag of Bones is emblematic of a larger problem with King the Writing, mm-hmm. the really gross sex. <laughs> Which, you know, I have to say, it shocks me that you, of all people, <laughs> would have a problem with this. Well, I think that's an indication of how gross it is. <laughs> if it's too gross for Brennan, it's too gross. Well, that's it, right? I mean, the world's most perverted man. <laughs> And I'm reading King's stuff. And, and, and you're I'm, going, oh, loss and mercy. Yeah, you can't say that. <laughs> this is the things we say off air. So that's uh, Dr. Hate, Ian Gibbs. You can reach him at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. So you're reading this going, oh, my goodness, I'm offended. Well, not I'm offended, but like the, in Lisey's story, which I actually think is a really great book. It's about a woman who loses her husband very young. Mm-hmm. And the husband had the ability to flip back and forth between this world and what he called the night world. There is an uncomfortable amount of sex in that. Thing. And what I'm what I'm talking about when I'm listening or reading a book and one character is talking about eating out another character's butt. Ew. Yeah. I don't I don't want to know this. I'm no. I, I you want to do it? I don't care. Don't tell me. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know. I just read it and I think, yeah, I don't Stephen King, maybe you should get laid more. <laughs> I mean, maybe we wouldn't have to see it in the books. <laughs> I mean, I remember, and oh God, I, I just remembered this. Someone was saying, I was, there was this really pretty girl in high school, uh, and she sat, I was reading Bag of Bones, or I was reading some Stephen King book, and she, I guess she was just trying to connect, and oh God, she was really cute, and I'm an idiot, because she sat down and said, oh, you're reading Stephen King, my favorite book is Bag of Bones. And I said, yeah, it was good, there's good parts, but I said, there's a really graphic rape scene that really bothered me. Oh, goodness. That was the end of that conversation. Uh, surprise. As you may yes, surprise. Oh, God. And, and it's just occurring to me now that I, she she probably filed for a restraining order yeah. after that. <laughs> what young girl doesn't want to sit down next to a guy in high school and talk about rape? Oh. Weird. You know, years ago, I was in a hostel in Northern Ireland. I think it was in, in, in Derry, actually. It was in Derry. Oh, there you go. Yeah, in Derry. And it was the hostel was run by this Australian couple. It was a Paddy's hostel, which are... Usually that's uh, there's a paddy wagon, which is a bus tour right, through Ireland. Right. So when there's no paddy wagon in town, this thing is pretty much empty. Right. So I, I was staying there in this place, and they, for some reason, insisted on having the windows open. It was December, so it was always cold. <laughs> but anyways, I remember the, the guy who ran the place was away. Jason was his name. And I was downstairs making myself something to eat, and this guy walked in. His name was Vincent. Vincent was from South Africa. And I remember he had this really uh, greasy, slick back hair. And Vincent, oh, God, he started talking to me. And he, I can't even remember how the subject 
how we got on the subject, but he started talking about the mass rapes that allegedly happened following the Russian advance into Germany during the war. Okay. And, and he, you know, this went on and I had no idea how to deal with this. No. And finally I managed to get out of there. Yeah. A little bit later I ran into Jason. I said, yeah, Vincent was here looking for it. And he goes, oh God, did he start talking about the rapes? Seriously? Yeah, 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 seriously. It's just a regular conversational just, thing for this guy. I guess so. I mean. Wow. What, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. Me thinks he doth protest too yeah, much. Yeah, there's something weird there. This is not good. No. No, that was, yeah, that was a bad scene. So anyways, moving on. So, yeah, so they say Stephen King stuff, um, Bag of Bones is great. But like I said, a lot of gross sexuality. Yeah. And it was made into an atrocious TV movie with Pierce Brosnan. Oh. On A&E. Yeah, that's. Oh, God. I don't know what they were thinking. No. And so what did you think of It, the 1990 television movie? I would rather slam my fingers in a car door (laughs) for six hours. Six hours. Than watch the three hours of It again. Yeah, no, it was pretty bad. It manages to take, I I mean, it wasn't totally without merit. Right. We should start off talking about the good things. I mean, the the very first good thing is is obviously Tim Curry Curry, as Pennywise. No, he was brilliant. He, he was, he was great. I mean, it wasn't note perfect. No. Yeah, there was a couple times where he kind of ventured into the ham bone a little too much. Yeah. yeah. But no, he was, he was very effective because he managed to be, and this is something we'll talk about a little bit later with the, the new movie, but this is something I think the new movie is going to fall, is falling down on a bit is it, it's trying to be too scary. Right. Whereas his Pennywise looked like, we remember Bozo the Clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of looked like that. Yeah. Like a, a middle-aged guy in clown makeup and, right. hey, I'm happy. You know, but yeah. then he would, he could turn the dial. And it got real creepy real got fast. Got real creepy real fast yeah. and just a little bit uncomfortable. And, yeah. and I think it's a credit to to Tim Curry that he was able to do that. Yeah. Other than that, I, I, I liked some of the, I didn't like the performances exactly. Right. No, not okay. I didn't like the performances at all. <laughs> I watched this on a plane about a year ago. Um, and I watched it because I'd never seen it before. And I was kind of hoping the plane would crash. <laughs> like it was not, it was, and I'm. I'm watching it going, why am I still watching this? Like, I have choices. I'm a grown-up. But it was like a car accident. You know you should look away, but you kind of want to know what's going to happen. And What a strange choice for inflated entertainment, though. I mean, because usually it's a, here's a handful of television shows, oh, and here's a couple no, classic movies. Yeah, no, I had loaded it onto my oh, iPad because okay. I had never seen it. <laughs> right, And right, thought, right, oh, right, I'm going right. to watch this. And right. then instantly regretted it. Oh, it, the whole thing has all the ambience of a crime scene floodlight. <laughs> yeah. Like it just, the, the lighting is, even for 90s television, it's yeah. bad. Yeah. It's like they, they just, they just rolled in a spotlight for all the scenes yeah. and went, boom. Yeah. Yeah. And the acting is uniformly terrible. Oh. I mean, I thought some of them looked the part, like Harry Dean Anderson from yeah. Night Court. Yeah. He, you know, he could have been a great Richie Tozier. I mean, uh, absolutely. And I realized actually, after reading the book the second time, then watching last year, then watching this yeah. stupid thing this year to prep for the show. Yeah. I realized that my vision of all these characters now actually comes from watching the TV movie. Oh, wow. When I was younger. Okay, yeah. So when I imagine an older Richie Tozier, I imagine Harry Dean Anderson. Okay. Except when I imagine it, he acts a a lot better (laughs) because he was very, very bad. They were all really bad. True, yeah. I mean, other than Tim Curry. Yeah. It it was overacted. It was, and maybe they were bouncing off a few key terrible people, like John Boy, Richard Thomas. Oh, the guy who plays Stuttering Bill? Sweet Jesus. He had a ponytail. Strike one. Oh. I don't know how we're expected to sympathize with any man who has no. a ponytail who isn't teaching karate. 
<laughs> well, I knew it was bad when I was hoping that it would kill them all. Oh, I, when when you start rooting for the bad guy, or in this case, bad entity, you know it probably is not a high quality. And so this guy was John Boy on the Waltons. Yes. So. In fact, I think that might have been his last big gig before he did this. Well, hopefully that was his last gig, period. Well, I didn't, I never saw him again. For one thing, he, he had a mole on his face. Well, now. that's just him. Is that him? Yeah. No. Could they not have covered it up? Because <laughs> he, he looks like he's been eating chocolate and he just missed a piece. Like your shirt last last time we recorded. You know, it's just, the, where's this coming from? And yeah. just, you just want to kind of lick your thumb and just wipe it off his face. Like, yeah. I got some crap on there. So you're saying everyone who's on TV should be physically perfect and without a blemish? Is that what well, you're saying? It, That's it would, what you believe? It, it, it would, you it, Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one thing to, to to be, you know, you don't have to be perfect, but I don't know. That thing just looked like he'd eaten part of a cookie <laughs> and, and missed a bit. And, and, and not only that, he just seemed like a creep, like a rapist. Oh, big time. He had this just, this... He's like the kind of guy who turns up to the party wearing shorts that are way too short and wants to show everyone his his Tai Chi moves. <laughs> Where and, and every time he moves, you can just everywhere you can just see balls. And he's and, and they're like parties. and they're gross and big balls, you know? <laughs> I was worried for Beverly's safety at some oh, point with, with him hanging around. Well, there's this guy back home, and I won't say his name just on the off chance someone plays this for him. But there's this guy back home. He's really super sweet, mm -hmm. but he's kind of simple. Right. And I remember we're, I was in the public pool one day, and I, I went to the change room to change. I was done, had my shower. I was just getting dressed. And he's there. And he's just wandering around talking to everyone naked. Right. And he's got these enormous balls. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that not because I was not because I wanted to look, but because he came over to talk to me. Right. So I'm sitting down. He's standing. His balls are at head level. That's not and, cool. And, and these things looked like I don't know, like 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 swollen lemons. <laughs> it was a terrible look. And so I kind of imagine John Boy. That's that's you know he just walks around with yeah. his. Gross mole elephant balls <laughs> in his speedo and his 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 cookie mole. No, he was he was atrocious. Oh, this poor man. I hope he never hears this or he's gonna kill himself. Or we should be so lucky. No, I will say Annette O'Toole. Like I said, they screwed up Beverly when yeah. she was younger because yeah. her head wasn't red enough. Right. But Annette O'Toole, yeah. hubba hubba. No, she's pretty. There, there's a scene in I think it's Cat People where she takes off her top, <laughs> and I tell you, friend. I became a man that day. <laughs> Probably spontaneously. Oh, I was like, what, what is that feeling? <laughs> and I, I've been chasing that dragon ever since. I, I mean, I understand they had to truncate things, you know, because there are certain things, uh, particularly the sex scene at the end when the kids bind each other. Yeah. I mean, I understand that's just hugely controversial and not yeah. something you're ever going to see in a movie. And, and I think that's fine. I mean, it doesn't yeah. bother me. No. But I know it's, it's. Well, it's not, it's, it's, it's a hundred percent inappropriate. Right. And to have that, again, if I'm saying this, there's something very, very wrong. <laughs> yeah. Brennan's drawing the line at good taste. We know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I felt that some things they cut didn't make a lot of sense. So they hurt mm -hmm. the dramatic. I mean, for one thing, uh, the character of Eddie, the whole point of the book is that he's, he's, his mother uh, dominates, dominates him. him. She's right. a big hefty woman and yeah. his father left. So she dominates Eddie as a way of feeling like she's secure in the world. Right. And so later in the book, when you find out his mother died and he married a woman who's essentially his mother again, yes, yes. that kind of goes back to they're still fighting the battles from their kids, right. from their childhood. Right. But in the movie, uh, he's still living with his mother 30 years later. Oh, wow. And I got to tell you, 30 years later, you're still living with your mother? <laughs> Forget it. You should just kill yourself. <laughs> 
Because, I mean, oh, maybe not now. Now with the economy in the shedder, there I can go. kind of understand it. But my, back in, I don't live with my mother. My mother lives with me. <laughs> no, see, that sounds like you're married to her. None of these are good options. Exactly. None of this is good. Exactly. But, no, I mean, back in 1990, this is, uh, you know, the economy is in, in pretty gangbuster shape compared to now. Oh, yeah. You should not be living with your mother. No, no, no. The acting was painful to watch. The line delivery was painful. Sometimes things seem to go on too long, oh. you know, and um, yeah, no, it just wasn't good. The, the director of that, Tommy Lee Wallace, his major claim to fame, as far as I'm concerned, he played uh, Michael Myers in the very first Halloween. Right. And then he he directed Halloween 3, which I've never seen and has nothing to do with Michael Myers and <laughs> is, you know, often derided by people, fans of the series. Mm-hmm. But prior to, after that, he went on to do TV shows like Max Headroom, Baywatch. Some big shows. Yeah, yeah. Episode here or there. Yeah. But uh, he's still working. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's still working, but he, you know, he's never made anything that would even be accidentally called a good film. No. <laughs> well, and he started his career off the way he decided to carry on that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but I was reading in the IMDb trivia that he had some grander plans for the thing. Right. But th- there was no money. No. And I, I, the thing is, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that there's not much. I don't know that there's much you could have done with the technology of the time. Well, yeah, and I was going to say that because, of course, some of the special effects are pretty cheesy. But um, as like the animatronic spider at the end, yeah, and, which they just punch to death. I know. Like that's that's what happens. It turns into a giant spider, and they they and basically they, just curb stomp it. Yeah, no. they go crips on it. I, <laughs> and th- th- I think watching older stuff, we're pretty good at being forgiving of the older technology. Oh, we understand course. it. But um, yeah. It, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, no one with half a brain watches Clash of the Titans and goes, man, that looks like fake bullshit. <laughs> you know, because you respect right. the art of the time. But right. but that just looks stupid. It, I mean, that it, was it was bad. People who did not give an, a shit. It was bad. Yeah. So uh, for me, uh, when I when the new trailer was showing up, I was kind of excited. I was, oh, me I had too. some hope. And um, you watched it. What did you think? I think it's got real potential. I agree. I'm a big fan of the director. Uh, he's only made one full-length film, Mama. Okay. But Mama was terrifying. Oh. Um, I, and, and the great thing about Mama, actually, was not just that it was scary, but it had a really, I felt, really strong emotional component. Right. Which you know, this story needs, actually. Uh, well, that's it. it absolutely needs yeah. that. Um, and I was a little disappointed because the, the director who previously was lined up to make this thing was Kerry uh, Fukunaga, who made the first season of True Detective. Oh, which that is good, incredible. Yeah, one of my favorite series of television of all time. Yeah. That and Scream Queens. Right, which is incredible. You should watch it. Watch the first season of Scream Queens. It's so good. If you're a 16 year old girl, no, no, they wouldn't appreciate it. Oh, it's so good. Don't watch the second season. It's trash. But the first season is that's genius. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. So he dropped out because the studio did not want to. He wanted to make it two films. Okay. And no, they wouldn't go for that. And the studio said, no, we're not doing that. And he yeah. also wanted uh, Ben Mendelsohn to play It. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Ben Mendelsohn. No. He, did you see The Dark Knight Rises? No. Um, I don't know why I'm bothering with this. Uh, did you see The Place Beyond the Pines? No. Oh, Christ. Never mind. <laughs> he's, he's a very talented Australian actor. He's okay. a character actor. He's in his, maybe in his 40s. Okay. Very, very talented guy. I think he would have been excellent. But I think he, you know, his salary, his his want, his demands were a little too much. Like he wanted a million dollars more or something. Right. And they said, "Well, no, we're not going to do that." So, anyways, Fukunaga left the, left the film, and they brought on Andre Muschietti, who directed Mama. So I would have loved to have seen Fukunaga's take on it mm-hmm. because True Detective was again a landmark. It, yeah, it, it really was. I agree. To be mysterious, yeah. with just a hint of the paranormal, yeah, and you know, foreboding, and with with great performances, yeah. he really managed to pull great performances yeah. out of all those guys. So I, I was disappointed that didn't happen, but. 
it looks okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I, uh, I feel like they're trying to make Pennywise a little too scary. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, you've seen that in American Horror Story when they they had the clown uh, oh, couple see, seasons uh, back. Season four the, freak show. That was scary. And, um, Twisty. Yeah. And and I, I think maybe that's where that, that's coming from is that clowns now need to be, oh, we need to make this terrifying so it's terrifying. They've taken away the psychological side to it. Right. And they're just making it terrifying. But what... I did like was, uh, I don't know if you saw it, there was a, a sort of a parallel. They did the old um, scenes from the old one and the new trailer. You sent it to me and I yeah. still haven't watched it yet. Well, of course you haven't. Um, I hate YouTube clips. And uh, it's not a YouTube clip. It Is wasn't it? a Facebook Messenger. Just shut up. And um, it, um, it, it, it was interesting to see it together because there were so many similarities. Right. Um, even the way they shot it. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it may be... I like the look of it. I like mm -hmm. the style of it. It kind of had a, um, what was that show we were just Stranger Things. Stranger, thank you. I was thinking Needful Things because of Stephen King, but. That's a terrible movie. It was a terrible, a good book. Yeah, it's a solid book, movie. Yeah. Um, But no, uh, it had a very much a Stranger Things look, which I think is going to help them, um, as that seems to be sort of the new thing that people are looking for, that sort of 70s, 80s-esque thing. I'm fairly sure that uh, one of the characters, or one of the actors from Stranger Things is in it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think, um, oh. His name is Finn Wolfhard, <laughs> which is the worst name. That is pretty bad. This is why you don't let kids pick their own stage names. <laughs> Maybe his parents named him that. Oh, well, that's even worse. <laughs> we'll call him Finn Wolfhard. <laughs> Unless he's fighting Gaelic monsters. Which he might be, you don't know. I sincerely doubt it. That kid looks like he couldn't fight off a cold. <laughs> Little wiener. Little pencil neck dweeb. Yeah, he's making a lot more than you are. Yeah, well, it doesn't take much. <laughs> No, I mean, he's great. Yeah, so they've got an actor from Stranger Things. Right. I just hope it doesn't lean too heavily on that. I worry that 80s nostalgia is... Going to wear itself out. Going to wear itself out. I mean, yeah. it's it was a... You know, I came from there. So I'm, I'm partial to the decade. Sure. But at some point, we have to come up with an aesthetic that that's new. Yeah. Something, and, and something that's not this teal and orange shit we keep relying <laughs> on. I mean, I love Stranger Things. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I know. It was great. It comes out in May, correct? No, September. Ugh. I know we got to wait. Really? Yeah, September. So I think what we need to do is we need to commit here now that we're going to go see it. Well, clearly. And we will talk about it. Maybe not an entire episode, but we will absolutely talk about it. I think it. if we, we take grown up notes, I think we might, uh, like preparation in, you might want to try it sometime. It's crazy. Wow. <laughs> wow. Shots fired. <laughs> Something that occurred to me when I was watching that trailer mm -hmm. is that, you know, the, because the original book was set in 1958, yeah. uh, you know, that was a time when kids could basically roam hither and yon for days at a time without anyone <laughs> noticing, you know? Just my mom used to say, and this is early eighties, uh, be home by the time the streetlights come on. Yeah, there you go. Otherwise I wouldn't see her all day. You'd yeah. be gone. And, and I, I really feel like the eighties and maybe the early nineties is going to be the last decade you can set a story like that in. Mm. Because kids are just don't, I mean, I don't think kids do that anymore. I mean, my niece, I, I she doesn't, because I used to disappear when I was like, I mean, I still do it now. But <laughs> when I was a kid, I, like we would disappear for hours. As sure. you say, you know, come back yeah. when the streetlights come on. And yeah. we would just go wander everywhere. Yeah. And I feel like that's just not something that happens anymore. My, no. niece, my niece doesn't do that. Well, and they're going to be anchored. Right with a cell phone or yeah. or something, um, heaven forbid you wander out of Wi-Fi range. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, sadly, I I agree with you. I think that we are far more connected, not only as a planet and with each other through the power of technology, but also parents are much more 
Oh, kind of controlling. Yeah, which is funny because statistically we've never been safer. Yeah, no, exactly. But I guess, yeah, it's it's uh, everyone watches too much television news. We'll just go right back to it. Yeah. I think it's got real potential. I agree. Um, I think it could be real scary. I hope they, again, I hope they don't overdo it. Yeah. But it, it looks so much more moody yeah, than the definitely. original. You know, yeah. just, the, the, the lighting is so much better. Yeah. I guess because, you know, they don't have a... A crew of union, like actual gorillas working on it. <laughs> and there's only four of them. Yeah. yeah. The whole show. I'm looking forward to it as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing, I, as I always do when I watch movies from books, what details are in and what details are out. And we'll see what happens. Well, speaking of uh, making sure we get all the details in, I got to make sure I get all the proper details in our closeout this time. Yes, you do. Because the last couple of times I have forgotten things. That's all right. And you're you, only one man. But I'm so much, man. <laughs> no, really, I got to lose like 30 pounds. <laughs> I was going to say smell is not everything. Go f*** yourself. <laughs> All right, so we're going to head out, folks. Thank you for listening as uh, Ian and I take apart uh, Stephen King's It. We're going to be back here in two weeks. Again, maybe with a guest, maybe not. That's kind of up in the air. That's the way we roll. That's that's exactly it. <laughs> of course, thanks for tuning in. And tell your friends. Rate and review us on iTunes. Help us get in front of more eyes. You know, we've got a pretty solid audience now for it, considering we're a new podcast. We started with zero audience, but uh, we're always hoping to get out there and attract a few more ears. Absolutely, please. So thank you to Pizzantum Music for our intro, and thanks to Will Forbes Music for the bumper music. Not only actually for the bumper music, but for being very cool about the fact I completely got his name wrong <laughs> the very first time I thanked him. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Will. No, he, he's been he's been really great, and we love his music. Check him out on SoundCloud at Will Forbes Music. Until next time, uh, take care and be good to one another. You gonna say bye there, bad dad? Bye.